0: te Gilbert te financial well financial capability. We have three perspectives: Associate Professor Carla Hōkamau from the University of Auckland, Palesoni Nohamoa, a Pacific education consultant, and Zella Morrison, a business mentor and a community broker. Let's get into the corridor. Tēnā Tui. Kingi. We're here with Associate Professor Carla Hokamo, an Associate Dean for the Business School at the University of Auckland, Ngāti Piro, Ngāti Kahungungu, Waitahu, and Pākehā. Carla received the Marsden Award in 2015 for a study on Māori identity and fin- financial attitudes. Tēnā koe, Thank you for coming on Te Pūtahi.
1: Ora, thank you for having me. Kia ora Tui. Tēnā
0: Carla, we wanted to talk about some of your research. Uh, The paper was called Taking Control. The Maori concept of investing was a whānau-based concept as opposed to what might be an individual concept. I was wondering if you could talk about some of that.
1: So I kind of look at, so I I work in a business school, but I come from a social psych background. So I'm interested in the way that people um, engage with concepts around money. You know, what is the purpose of Mm -hmm. their lives? what do we want it for, and I guess where you would put it in your kind of hierarchy of aspirations in your life. So some people are really materialistic. That's basically their primary motivator. Other people like power, uh, and some people seek kind of meaning, fulfilment through spirituality and so forth. But if you look at data that's collected around how Māori engage with, I would call money a kind of instrument of capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Something we, we, We're in this capitalist society not of um, choice, by the way. We were wrestled into capitalism by colonisation. So if you think about you know, how are Māori engaging with some of the, the um, values inherent in that uh, system, as well as engaging with money, which is something that we really need to survive and thrive as well, uh, I would say that there's really quite clear patterns of divergence between the way that Māori engage with money and the way that non-Mauri gauge with money. Now, I don't want to homogenise too much because the other area mm. of my work is really in diversity and opinions. But as, uh, I was just saying to You know, one of the things I think is remarkable about Māori is this real uh, intergeneration, intergenerational kind of resilience of values around whānau and around, uh, yes, I will do things, I do want to work, but I... I see more meaning in my work if I feel that it's going to be contributing to my whanau or Māori development generally. So Māori, for example, in a large study that I've done recently with a number of colleagues, we looked at the attitudes that uh, over 7,000 Māori hold towards uh, money and wealth and savings. And at least 30% of that population said that they would rather take work that paid less money if they felt that they were contributing to Māori development somehow. And I think wow. that, yeah, I think that that's it in a nutshell. We've got uh, clear differences in the value orientations among Māori, even now, after all these years of colonisation and uh, attempted assimilation, you know, mixed versus soul Māori, you know, we've got a lot of intermarriage and so forth. There's still these kind of, I would say, deference to a more collective mode of well-being that is actually quite different, I think, from uh, many Pākehā in New Zealand.
0: You mentioned another study. I know you're doing uh, a smaller study and then there's a larger study, a longitudinal study. How yeah. do they inform each other and what, how did that come about and, and form this position now where we're getting greater aran- awareness around ideas of Māori wealth?
1: Yes, uh, that's a really, really good question. So the large study is basically a quantitative study. So it's just a survey that we sent out in 2017. And we actually just sent it out again recently to everybody who completed it um, in 2017. So we've had about 1,500 responses to that just over lockdown, actually. We've seen over lockdown. Now, quantitative things like surveys are useful in that they will give you kind of a, I guess, a whole lot of patterns and attitudes across large numbers of people. But, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, as a Māori researcher, surveys aren't really for the faint-hearted. They're not really things that Māori people tend to enjoy doing in our experience. And I feel I can say that because we got a lot of flack for doing it. <laughs> uh, because they kind of wrestle the way that you feel and think into quantifiable boxes. And that's not consistent with the way I think culturally Māori think, which is much more holistic and kind of, um, you know, collect, connecting lots of aspects of experience to explain something. But in the quantitative surveys, you're kind of narrowing down the responses. Mm-hmm. Oh, useful for large data sets. You know, I can say 7,000 people answered a survey, quite good. But if you really want to understand, I think, the personal um, perspectives in a really deep way the qualitative project which uh, we're talking about today with the taking control project we really got to the nitty-gritty with people and got to know them and understand their personal perceptions I think you need to get that to inform the big data set pattern Mm -hmm. you get a set pattern and something you think well what does that mean and then you kind of get down to you know the more richer data sets and they can help inform the the quantitative ones so that's how they go together. Uh, in terms of where they come from, I mean, and why I would do that kind of research, I was never really interested in. I'm not interested in capitalism or commercial um, thing. I mean, I'm a social psychologist like I said, but um, I think there's a bit of a crisis actually, if you look at our education system and Marty coming through, that are the accountants that are the economists that are, um, you know, the senior managers, the CEOs. We've got a lot of assets in the Māori world now, right? Commercial assets, we've got, you know, natural assets, we've got human assets as well. I don't really think of them as assets. You know, we've got um, human capability. I think we need to have expertise in that area, Uh, you know, business, whairawa, in order to leverage what we have to ensure that we reach our potential and our aspirations, Mm. to research to understand why we're not seeing the numbers of students coming through, basically coming through commerce degrees, you know, they go to education, nothing wrong with that, go to law, Um, health, great, even psychology, you know, there's more numbers coming through, but not so much into uh, commerce. I mean, it would be difficult for me to, find a, um, a PhD student in my faculty. Actually, I think we've got one. One PhD,
2: at do 75. Oh, kia ora, Kala. Do, do you think we need to change some of the way that our education system is being developed around talking about concepts of Māori in the economy and Māori attitudes to money? And what would your suggestions to be to government on that?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I do think, I should say, I think that there are some actually really good things out there that are happening. I was just uh, doing a bit of a lazy Google this morning and I know that this isn't my institution because I'm at Auckland University, but I have to say the Wharewananga O Aotearoa is offering at the moment one of, uh, some um, no fees courses and small business management, money management. I think it's at the, our fingertips. You know, if people want to do these things online, so I, I just want to kind of recognise that there are providers uh, that are specialised providers to Maori interests. In. But I think, you know, honestly, I think it's, it's encouraging people to be interested in that mm-hmm. and that it does happen earlier on in the education. Well, it happens in homes. I mean, I say that I'm not interested in, you know, business and stuff, but my father was a, a business owner himself. He had a small business. So I saw that entrepreneurialism in my own whānau. So it wasn't a foreign idea to me that you could be self-employed, right, when I went to university. So I think whānau are the obvious way that we can nurture interest in young Māori. But I think later on in the education system, I think, you know, um, providing opportunities for Māori to learn how other Māori businesses do things in a Māori way. When I was um, writing a book of case studies at the moment, that does actually illuminate that. There's a huge amount of Māori businesses out there. They're amazing, incredible. Mm. But we don't really kind of embed that in the education system. Mm. Over lockdown, uh, this web, this Facebook page sprung up. It's, um, I recommend everyone go on it. It's like a Māori business Facebook page. I couldn't believe how many Māori people got businesses. You can buy stuff online. You know, it's incredible. I feel like really good at that. Uh, but we don't seem to highlight it. You know, you look at the TV, you've got negative health statistics and crime, crime statistics and educational kind of deficit stuff. Uh, I think we need to focus more on how well we're doing on that side of things. Mm-hmm. Maybe' are great at it, particularly family businesses, I reckon, which is, you know, going back to what I was talking about before, money really motivated to do things that benefits their whanau, their community the marae, I mean you look at how much if you've got something going out at the marae, you look at everybody is down there working together very competently and they're motivated to do it, we're good at doing it together um, so I just think probably creating a, an interest in, in small businesses or having your own business in and, uh, and primary and intermediate because we're not even getting the kids doing stage one like economics and stuff like that because it's It seems boring, and it is kind of boring, but if you can see how it's relevant to your family or beneficial, it's not as boring.
0: Yeah. The teaching, the way it's taught, is very important to establishing motivation in people. Um, Mm. In the research, you talked about value system dilemma. as a headline that popped out at me, and I'm wondering if that is one of the barriers that, you know, there's a value, multi-value system, and then there's another value system, which is capitalism, yeah. or mm. and how that may influence the way it's seen. We reflect on ourselves as Maori. You know, like you said, if there's a lot of corridor around um, poverty, you know, and those kind of things, is that helping us? And you know, what are your thoughts? And what was the root of the research when you were talking about values uh, system dilemma in the research? What What was the idea yeah. there?
1: Um, well, kind of just how you put it, really I read this really amazing uh, quote by Henry Boughton He wrote it in 1989 I wish I got it out and pulled it out um, to read out But it was one of the things that I read years ago Actually, when I was doing my own commerce degree um, Later on, I used it in a um, an essay And he said that basically Marty as a result of colonization had struggled to come to grips with this new system that they were basically forced into. Mm-hmm. And that led to, you know, generations of, and he did say this, resentment towards institution of material wealth. So Very it really intrigued, me, really intrigued me because, mm-hmm. you know, you've got um, prior to colonization, you've got Māori had an economy in New Zealand for over a thousand years, supporting Fano, you know, in kāinga and iwi and hapu throughout the country very well. In fact, um, another thing I, I was really interested to learn when I was coming through my own education was that at the time of um, first contact and colonisation, the Māori life expectancy was on par with um, the British as well at the same time. Māori were actually doing very well and, and supporting whānau well here using this economy. But you don't think about it as an economy because the, the, thought of, you know, the, the concept of an economy is a Western concept. The Māori economy was just day-to-day life kind of embedded in social relations, people working together to create you know wealth, food, and what they required. So you don't really think of the economy that way. So just getting back to what you asked about, you know, that kind of dilemma, I don't think that cultures or people just change overnight. You know, it takes many, many generations to change. And I believe that the capitalist value system that we're all absorbed into, which you know, to put it really bluntly, is quite individualistic and materialistic and consumeristic or consumer orientated. That doesn't resonate. I I mean, what I can see in our data set is it's just not resonating with money. And that's a dilemma. That is a dilemma. You need money to survive. You know, you need to have wealth and you need to be able to not be stressed out by it. And I think that that's the Thing that's the damaging thing about um, poverty is that it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. The full-time job managing your life, you know, when that's your problem. Mm-hmm. We don't want that. But then it's hard to kind of say, okay, we don't want that. You've got to love this instead. You know, you've got to love this materialistic way of being. It doesn't have to be either all, I think, but there is a feeling that there's a dilemma. And that came out with the a small scale study that we uh, recently did with those 20 mari. Um, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It's kind of like a love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want money, but then they don't want it in a way that means that they're compromising their own values. Mm -hmm. I guess what our research was trying to say is, look, not having money is really stressful. So yes, it's boring. Yes, um, I can see why you might not want to focus on it, but if we just tidy that bit up in your lives and show or help you identify ways that you can achieve the goals that you want for your family by managing that more effectively, then it starts to become a little bit more an interesting and you know it's intriguing and capture someone's attention and then they, they want to you know talk about it. A lot of feelings came out in that study, a lot of interesting things. How would you go about that?
2: Um, do, do you think we should redesign some of the things we have? For example, I'll just pick Saver. So <laughs> do you think we should redesign some of these um, programs, um, financial wellbeing programs, to actually have uh, Māori wellbeing values at the centre rather than an add-on?
1: Yeah, I think that's what, Danielle, I have to just... Um Mentioned Danielle Oakes, who was the person who actually took leadership of the training. I don't know if we call it training, but our own financial literacy workshops. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to do that. Um, however, um, you're still wrestling, I guess, Māori values into a, a um, kind of way of providing education that's non-Māori. And it's kind of like, you know, we get that at school, eh? Like we can kind of, like you were saying earlier, Toy. we can try and avoid tagging on things. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that, and I haven't got the solution of what a completely new model might look like. We're kind of working towards that now with our our mahi. But um, yeah, I think there needs to be, you know, a way of looking at at teaching young people around, um, you know, financial goals or even the idea of how to set up your own business, showing other Māori that are successful doing that in a way that's not compromising your values. And there are a lot of great examples um, that you might not necessarily think of as businesses, but, um, you know, I can think of, yeah, I don't want to get into mentioning particular businesses, but there's some great uh, Māori businesses that, you know, really uphold Māori and They perpetuate an interest in culture and te reo Māori through the work they do
0: there's a sense that money is tied directly to well-being. What's your reaction to that?
1: No, I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I think you need a certain amount of it not to be stressed out. But um, a few years ago, as part of another study that is led by Professor Chris Sibley, who's another colleague that I work with. Uh, we did um, a piece of research, and it's actually called How Much Happiness Does Money Buy? It was published in the New Zealand Journal of Psychology, so people can just Google that and find it online. And we found that after a certain amount of money, people don't get happier. So their income, the limit's around 100 hundred thousand dollars income a year per person. So if you got a good job, gets not a bad income, right? Hundred k. At that point, your happiness is going to kind of increase to to that level, hundred k. Then after that, it doesn't actually go up subjectively more. And what we thought is that about that much, you really aren't going to be worried about money all the time. You know if you drop too much lower and you've got lots of responsibilities, then it starts becoming a source of stress. So that detracts from your well-being. So guess what we're saying in our research is money is not the thing that you know people are inspired by this want it, but actually the reality is not having much of it is really stressful as well. So it's okay to want to want to get money and it's okay to prioritise your goals financially, um, you're not just doing that for the sake of having the money, you're actually doing it to be able to, I guess, be in a good state, psychologically and physically, be there you know, for your family and be able to not be stressed out by it. Because stress is the problem with money. Massive problem for our communities. And I think, you know, a lot of the problems that we see are coming from that stress, you know, to be frank.
0: Well, kia ora, Carla. Thank you for coming on. Te had a really interesting time talking about uh, some of the value system dilemmas, um, understanding the way that Māori may see wealth and, uh, acquiring, uh, and looking, acquiring money and looking after themselves. And it seems like a really fascinating data set there. And I can't wait to see that data set come uh, out in public and share with us uh, the insights found in there to help uh, improve our lives and our well-being. So, Kyoto Kildakala, thank you for coming on Teputahi.
1: Uh, ora. thank you. Thanks, Tui.
0: We are here with Pali Sony. Pali is from Samoa. He's a Pacific education consultant working up and down the Motu, as we can see in his car there, and helping Fano with their financial well-being. Tenaquai Pali. Tēnā ni We're also here with Zella Morrison. Zella Morrison is a business mentor. She's currently with the Community Empowerment Unit at Auckland Council and was previously with the Commission for Financial Capability. Tēnā
2: Oh, tēnā kōrua, tēnā, tēnā koutou iwi my
0: Well, no, my piki my my first question. A report was recently released uh, by the University of Auckland mm. and it talks about how Māori will most likely invest in their whānau um, as opposed to investing in themselves as individuals. Uh, Pale, from your experience driving up and down the motu there, what is your uh, reaction to that uh, bit of research? Uh, kia ora, Kingi. Thank you for the
3: wonderful opportunity to just share. Um, absolutely true. Maori and Pacifica very similar in our collectivity and the way we see the world. Let me tell you a story. When we first came from Samoa, we, my mum and dad, bought a house for five hundred pounds in Ponsonby. It was a three-bedroom house, Kingi, and in this house we had a kitchen. On the kitchen, uh, in the kitchen, we had a window with a shelf. On that shelf, my mum had five jars, glass jars. Each one of those jars had a label, a label for church, a label for school, a label for kai, a label for power, and a label for rent. When dad got paid, he used to work at the freezing works in Otahuhu. He'd come home with his money, he'd give it to my mum, mum would then apportion the money into each of those jars. Once that money had run out, from that jar, I can assure you, Kingi, there was no F-possing between one jar and the next. When that money ran out for cocaine, you never borrowed from another jar. So my mum and dad brought up seven kids in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and she never worked a paid job at all. It was just the one sole earner for all of those years. And look at me, I look pretty good for someone who was brought up on that really <laughs> small amount of money out of those jars. But you know, we sent money to the islands, we gave money to the church, we gave money because we lived with my uncle, auntie and history kids in the same house. So that was a small sample of how it is for all of us as Polynesia. We tend to think collectively, gather collectively and then commit collectively. So I think that's a true word from that research, Kingi, absolutely in my travel around the Mortu.) <clears throat>
0: Oh my Bali uh thank you so much and Zella what's your fakado?
2: Um, Kingi, Pali's story definitely resonates for Māori as well we i think we've been it's one of these cultural practices when we've been brought up not to think about ourselves but to think about feeding each other feeding our fano and you know Pali, the, the story you tell exactly relates to our fano as well we had the glass jars And you're right, they never, mum and dad, never borrowed from one glass jar to the other. And when we committed, I think as whanau, we were brought up in sharing kai. You know, when we went hunting, it wasn't just hunting for you. You know, when we go back to the villages and to the pa, people, you know, they went hunting for deer, for pigs, they went fishing. So it's a cultural practice that we grew up with, that to share your kai, to share your money, to share your values, to share... You know, you're fuddy. So it's definitely a Fano concept that we've been brought up with. And individual wealth is something very new, you know, in, in terms of the cultural context and our indigenous Fano.
0: In the research paper Taking Control, they're looking at ways of how Farno can continue to have a sense of well being in a world which is Uh, run by other values there's mention of the word capitalism Mm. Uh, so what is your advice when you're in your community you're helping people with their business Um, how are you approaching this topic so my my work is with mainly in
3: pacific but i also work with Pakia who want to understand more about pacific so i tend to go in between the two audiences that have two completely sets of values as how they see money. So if we can stay with the palangi model, they see money as your linear, it's the dollar, it's the investment, it's the um, absolute banking system. In Pacific with Māori, we are all of those and we have things like our cultural resources or our cultural capital or the things that we call valuable but not necessarily in that linear form of banking. So what's happened in society when we've come here to New Zealand as Tawiwi, we've embraced kind of like a bit of that, but not much of us, because we see, we envy the colonised viewers. We envy some of this stuff. Of course, we like the flash car. We like a nice house. We love all those things. And so the, there's a generation now of Pacific people who've come here. If you look at some of the social... Uh, places where we now are contributing to Aotearoa New Zealand. The statistic last year, um, Kingi, was Pacific people in Aotearoa New Zealand contribute 5.4 billion to the GDP of this country. Now, that's come from our earnings from people like the All Blacks, like the Warriors, like the sports people, like a number of us who are in business. So we've embraced some of that nice Pākehā stuff. But what some of us have done is we've let go some of the other values in order to achieve it. So I think the next generation and maybe the one after that is a generation that uh, knits those two things together to get the best of both. So in science, if you teach students about making a umu or a hangi and every element of that from the numeracy of who you're cooking it for, how many, what kind of rocks, the heat from the rocks is your physics. The, um, the, The way the food is cooked, is your chemistry and then the numeracy and literacy is all in there and people will get interested in science. So he would talk to me about looking at finance in exactly the same way. There are some of our cultural kind of foundations that we build on in order to scaffold into this other corporate world so that we don't lose either of it's always in my view an and and but somehow in our education system here we've come in as Maori we've left our cultural stuff at the door and picked up a whole nother, other cultural uh, way of learning. So that's an and and or.
0: Mm, Kilda, it seems like a, acculturating mm. the education system would be an important part. Sella, what's your reaction and your kōrero?
2: Yeah, it's a difference between capitalism and collectivism, isn't it? I mean, so, and, and the other layer in that is our socialism. So, from from where I'm sitting in terms of our cultural background and Maori and Pacifica and Indigenous, I think our wealth or what we call it wealth, it's not wealth is not necessarily money. I think wealth is about a livelihood and enrichment of Fano, and money gives us that opportunity to share that wealth amongst whānau. And it, it helps us Ease the burden across if you're from a very, very big family. One I guess from a personal perspective, the the motivation that drives me is about Fano. It's not about um, capitalism. I think the concepts of capitalism is one based on an individual paradigm, but for Fano, yeah. it's about having healthy lifestyles yeah. and, and sharing in that wealth and being collective about it and being proud to do that and I think that you know we as as Maori we tend and as Pacifica we like that sharing concept so yeah yeah, very much a collectivism very much a sharing of wealth money Mm. or language or kai you know we can use any commodity to describe wealth and it's not necessarily money right Mm.
3: Mm. Mm. totally agree
2: Ka pai. Thanks, Pali. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> <laughs> as for for,
3: for Māori and Pacifica, we have a lot of similarities, as we know, in terms of that collectivity. Mm. Just in a few areas, we might be a little different, but that's always about protocol, but not about values. So, mm. totally agree.
0: <clears throat> we have this idea that uh, in Polynesia, within our whānau, within our ainga, of looking after our elders. Mm-hmm. in a uh, financial well-being sense, how does that manifest and what are, um, how is that practice um, running today and, and yep. supporting those ideas of well-being in our fano and our hōkaima? What a great question, Kingi. Um, when I was commissioned
3: a few years ago to ask Pacific Island elderly what their plan of retirement was, I asked my mother first, who was age 80. She said to me, Pali, she goes, uh, my life is in God's hands. I thought to myself, how do you write a strategy to manage that if that's how Pacific Samoans? The other thing I said to my mum is I said, you know, mum, most Paolangi people now, they talk about saving in that, in that way through Kiwi Saber. I said to mum, do you have a plan that you ever thought? My mum said this, when your life is in God's hands, she goes, I've got seven kids, you're one of them, Pali. I know that you fellas put money in my account every month. said, yeah. I pray for you every day that God will sustain your life because, in my view, the Paolangis might have a Kiwi saver, but you kids are my Kiwi saviour. Yeah,
0: Zella, what's your thoughts on our kaumatua and looking after our kaumatua?
2: You know, everything goes around, eh? There's a good old saying, what comes around goes around. So I always reflect on when we're young, it's our mums and dads and grandparents that look after us. And then as we're getting older, the ability to earn income is not as good as it used to be. So it's then time for the generation that's coming up to look after the older ones, our kaumato, our queer. And then it's also at that time when those who are young have the ability to earn. So as one generation's rising, the ability to earn is greater. And as one generation is getting older, the ability to earn is less. And so when we say what comes around goes around is the parent looks after the child and the child looks after the parent. So that's my very simple philosophy about looking after our elders. You know, it's about, and I think that's the the thing that we have as Maori and Pacifica. We've been brought up to look after each other and to look after our elders as well. So for me, that's a, another big value in terms of who we are as Maori and Pacifica. There's a generational acceptance, you know, and willingness to look after each other. And we don't find that in a lot of palangi organisations because their values are different. They're built on individual value. And that's why I say we're built on a collective value. So I guess simply that's my whakaro, really. The generations looking after each other. As one gets older, it has the ability to help the older generation. And the older generation's ability to earn and survive is less. So probably there's great merit in what you're saying about the Kiwi saviour, you know? And your, your, your story about your mother just sees that just as the story behind the theory that I'm sharing. Yes. You know, the Kiwi yes. saviour, not the Kiwi saviour, the Kiwi saviour, yeah. the whanau saviour.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask about some of the financial instruments and activities that everyone needs to participate in. A bank, maybe a credit card, uh, asking for some money to do a project, I'm not too sure. Building a waka, buying a house, buying a car. How do you approach this with the community? How have you approached this?
3: Yeah, well, we know from our um, our, our statistics that Pacific are really low in home ownership, to me, um, and it really is a uh, an income issue. So we might budget all we can, but actually. Our incomes are much, percentage much lower than the average um, uh, park income in Aotearoa. So the purchasing of homes is low. We'd like to do more. However, the purchasing of our churches tells us a different story. You see, in Favona Road here, Otahu, there are three Tongan churches within a oh. 7km triangle. All those three <laughs> Tongan churches are well over uh, $2 million in terms of their physical value. So those Tongan families have committed to that investment, if you like, because it's about whānau, it's about our spirituality and well-being. And within all of those churches, like Marae, we've got early childhood centres, our real speaking places, we've got our youth development, we've got our youth housing, we've got our learning and teaching in Marae, in our churches, and we have our spiritual get-togethers, so that is a value, if you like, collectively, that Pacific people would rather invest in than perhaps our own homes. But if we had the right kind of income, we would go further into that and the opportunities to buy. So that's kind of one. There are a number of families that I work with who have three or 4 subfamilies within their family, And so together, they will prioritize the money to put together for a deposit before they buy themselves one big house so they have made that their priority but they'll work separately for a number of years until they've got enough money for a deposit so the heart of owning something is still there we're just a little slower because our income base is not as strong as it might have been even in the 60s when we were buying houses then mm, Te
0: nākui yeah. mm, yeah. for kārua, Nancy,
2: Yes, well I think we're, if we get into a financial situation as whānau, we tend not to go to those institutions because a lot of that is about revelation of your financial situation. You know, the low income, how can I afford to pay the interest on that? And I'll, I'll take a story out of Pali and I, I think we were both involved during the commission, where there was a um, a huge impact on our families and in many parts of Auckland, using trucks to buy their cars and their kai. And they get tied up into a contract with interest rates up to 30%. But some of those families would see, would see that they as an immediate answer to their need. You know, mm-hmm. if they needed a, a can of corned beef, if they needed clothes for the kids, they couldn't afford to go down the road, you know, because they had no money for petrol. And the truck would come along in the street and it said, buy from me. And the people would say, yes, I've got this product for you. Then they'd get them to sign the agreement. But they didn't look at the fine print. So not only were they paying saying what well, we can buy, uh, look, let's say a can of corn at the, at the supermarket for three or four dollars you add the interest rate on top of that 30%. So they're paying triple that amount Mm. for that one can of kai. And so a lot of our families got into deeper financial debt because they didn't read the fine print. So they tend not to go to institutions in a bank. So, yeah, I think the more engagement we have in institutions understand the culture of Māori and Pacifica, maybe they could make a big impact on helping us more rather than and sharing the fine print, not hiding the fine print.
0: We've just come down to level one in the alert level system due to COVID. We are entering what the media and a lot of people are predicting as a uncertain economic period. As we move into this, what is your advice to the aina the fano, our families out there, To how can they prepare themselves this is a really hard question, Kingi, because it, um, when I've been around in
3: the community, it really centers on the things that we've enjoyed most pre-COVID. And to me, we need to go back to those things. For example, when I was speaking to some Pacific families last week, we talked about, hey, are you fellas subscribed to Netflix? Yes. Spotlight? Yes. Sky TV? Yes. Sky Movies? Yes. Sky Sports? The subscriptions for those are quite, you know, over a year. They could just about get you up near the thousands. So we've asked specific families to re- reevaluate some of those luxuries. Do you really need to have all of those subscribed um, entertainment? Could you not just have Netflix for a little while, until such time as the economy settles? We've looked at things like insurances. Kenny, have you reviewed the insurances on your cars, on your homes? on your persons, because some of that is going to be robbing uh, you over this COVID period. So going back to that luxury, we've gone back to things like, are you fellas still buying your lunch? Because actually to make your lunch, along with all the other whānau stuff, it's going to just pull back during this COVID. It's looking at those luxuries first and whether we can reduce those luxuries before we go into the other areas of you know reducing power, reducing which are not luxuries. There's a need things. There were things like, um, as we were talking to, simple things like the lunches and stuff. We, in a funny way, are still dependent on other people for Kai. And so we're working together to collectively continue that during the COVID thing. But in the finance world, that's uh, some of the areas that I think we're clearly trying to get Pacific people to reduce. Phones, you know, that's another luxury. Are we on the right plan? Is that the right phone? Do we really need an iPhone? Maybe for a few months we might reduce back on that. Look at a different plan. Um, there are some smaller things like the way that we uh, use our cars during COVID. We didn't drive as much. We can still go back to that um, about parking in the right places and not using parking it in a, in a free road and then walking further to get to your institution as opposed to parking in the institution and getting a fine because you haven't actually put in a parking fee. So some of those things came out loud and clear as one of the ways that we can just begin to think about it and have the talanoa as a family because not everybody um, is is an individual, as you know. The other stuff around um, budgeting, um, Kingi, is that for a number of years now, I've kind of removed the word budgeting out of our workshops and we've picked up another thing, which are let's look at our specific obligations. What are they? And there's a myriad of them as they are for Māori. And then we are set together as a whānau and prioritised those obligations. So if you're prioritising those, there's less dependence on the budget. There's more dependence on commitment to that obligation that you have prioritised. That eases a lot of guilt. <laughs> that eases a lot of feeling bad about Oh, because the budget has said I have to do this. And so we commit ourselves to that. But guess what, Kingy? We never follow the budget. We never follow. In fact, we do the McDonald's theory, which is would you like lies with that? Because clearly, Pacific can do that. Have you put your money here? Have you put your money there? Have you put yes, yes, yes. But really, we haven't done it. So looking at it differently as an obligation. Our education, that's an obligation. Our church, that's an obligation. Our aina, that's an obligation. Let's prioritise those that expenditure or that uh, uh, way of spending money than not. Because in that way, we're more committed to complete our, if you like, managing our money.
2: <clears throat> Consumerism occupies and consumes us. Why? Because we have products that are almost affordable, that you know, different stores, you can buy two for the price of one. So we get sucked into, when you're going into, into a supermarket, the first thing you see is all the chocolates, you know, buy, buy one, get one free. So there's a lot of behaviour change that we need to look at. And the other thing is money has become almost, it's not, an inten- it's not a tangible. You know, when I was growing up, we, had, we could touch and feel and smell the money. We have credit cards, so it's easy to put debt on credit cards because you don't see the value. All you see is a tiny little card, shiny card that's got your name and you know you've got a credit balance of whatever it is and you tend to just swipe it. So we're going back to basics, going back to essentials, exactly what you're saying, Pali, look at all your fixed costs that you can change. Insurance, what is the interest on your credit card? Think about your buyer behaviour that needs to change in this. We need to think about buying essential items and not luxury items. I think now's the time to start teaching our children the value of money. Ask them, what does a 10-cent coin look like? What does it weigh? Who's on it? We've got away from that because we've a moneyless society. You can just go and swipe a card with a fancy glow on it, you know, and it's done gone to your bank account but how many of us actually look at your bank account how many of us go online and see the bank statements not very many we do a, a mathematical mental calculation in our head don't we oh yes I've spent $20 on kai
0: well, thank you so much for your insights we've learned a lot about uh, the ainga Fano. many of our pacific communities we operate And we invest in our whānau first, before the individual. We also put our commitments to the other social things, whether it be the church or our marae. It's also considered an investment, not a discretionary spend. And I think the tips and advice about uh, the next period are very helpful. You know, just be a little bit more considerate. Do we need all of these consumer services? Um, And just maybe doing some more practical things and I holding money, understanding it and managing it that way. Sounds like a very Mm -hmm. helpful, proactive thing that we can all do, no matter how big your income, whether you're big or small. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to the
2: go back to the glass
0: jars. (laughs) Go back to the glass jars. I Kilda, thank you so much for your insights. Uh Pali. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Kilda. Zella, thank Bye. you, pale. That's us on Te Pūtahi Ka Kakite. We'll see you next time. Hey, Kunara.